and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Carl concludes his message entitled, Don't Hurt the Holy Spirit. We're still in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Now, here's Pastor Carl. Verse 25 starts off and it says, Put away all falsehood. Tell your neighbor the truth. Because we belong to one another. We belong to each other. He's saying, if your old nature had to do with lying, or maybe it's still kind of some of that old nature you still carry with you, you've got a bad habit of twisting the truth, He's saying, stop lying and begin to tell the truth to other people. The reason being is that we are a body. We're all Christ's body. We're all connected in one way or another. And if you're lying and you're hurting someone else in the body by lying to them, causing dissension, stirring up strife, well, by doing that, you're ultimately just hurting yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt the body. Don't lie. If you're someone that's given to just whatever, exaggerating the truth, you know, just distorting it a little to make yourself sound a little bit better. Or just brown-nosing someone by not telling them the truth, but telling them what they want to hear. But you're not giving them a dose of reality, so they can't work on whatever's wrong. But you just keep, oh, no, oh, you're good, you're good. And see, we hurt the whole body of Christ when we lie to one another. So he's saying, stop doing that. Stop lying. Stop stretching the truth. Stop exaggerating to cover up guilt for whatever reason. Just don't lie, but put on truth because we belong to each other. Start telling each other the truth. And then the next verse, it says, and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. He's not saying to not be angry. Because, see, that's a human emotion. That's a human feeling. That's a process that we go through. But what he's saying is when you get angry, don't let yourself slip into sin. Don't do something in that anger that opens you up to an attack from the devil, that opens you up to hurting the rest of the body and hurting yourself. And there's two main ways that I see of sinning in your anger. I think every one of us would fall into these categories. The first one is you get angry and you just bottle it up. Someone makes you mad and you're just like, that's okay, you wait one day. And you just hold it in, you know? And it starts to just fester and it starts to turn into bitterness. And it starts to turn into a cancer inside of you that starts eating you from the inside out and just becoming, you become a bitter person. And then who knows, maybe one day you do explode. You know, we've heard of all the stories of husbands and wives after years of marriage and then they just blow up one day because they've been holding it all in and not communicating with their spouse. That's it. It's over. Divorce. See ya. I'm done. Or relationships at work or, you know, the term we get for this type of anger that gets bottled up and then finally explodes. We always say, oh, that guy's going postal. And what do we mean by that? Is those, those, those tragedies that have happened in the, the U.S. post office where disgruntled employees who have been holding in anger for years and years and years someday just come to work with a gun and just explode. And see, that's the problem with us taking anger and not dealing with it correctly the way that God wants us to. But we allow ourselves to sin in that anger. One way is bottling it up. And we hurt ourselves and we begin to, to hurt other people through that. The second way that we sin in anger is that we immediately take it out on something or someone. How many of you guys have ever hurt your hand or your foot by kicking the door or the wall or, you know, something like that? I had a friend in high school that would every, seem like every few weeks he was coming with new bandages on his knuckles and, and broken bones in his hand. Like, what happened? Oh, I punched the door today. Look what happened to Mike Tyson. He got all mad. He took a little nibble. <laughs> by some zero. He paid the price for that. But see, it's these stupid things that we do in the heat of anger and the heat of just being, oh, I'm mad, so I'm just going to act on it. Well, later you pay the price and you hurt someone, you hurt yourself. And ultimately, what we're going to be looking at is that you are hurting God. There was a time in my life when someone falsely accused me, 
totally deliberately just wrongly accused me, didn't have any grounds of, for any fact or anything. How many of you guys have ever had to deal with someone like that? They, they just come at you, they just come at your throat because they say, you did this, 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 and you're just going, what are you talking about? And the guy came at me so hard, it was literally the worst attack verbally that I've ever had in my whole life. And I'll always remember it. But I'm thankful for the way that God worked in my life in the middle of this situation. Because he was coming at me, saying all this stuff totally untrue. And I was sitting there, and at first I'm like, oh, this is a joke, right? Ha ha ha, wait a minute, you're serious? You actually think I did all of this? You actually think this, this, this about me? I'm like, none of that could be further from the truth. And I start to try to explain it to him. He doesn't want to hear it. Just rah, 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 assaulting. And I'm just like, okay, now I'm starting to get mad. Now I know that I'm in the clear here. God knows it, but you're, you're making me mad. And I start looking at him, you know, sizing him up like, I could take you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm skinny, but I'm fast. You know, like, I'll take you out. You know, like, you can't jump across that desk faster than I can. You know, I'll, I'll wipe you out. And it's like another Christian brother. And I'm thinking this, and I'm just like, it's building. Here comes the temptation of sin in the anger, right? I start thinking all these things. I know where you park your car. I know what it looks like. I know which house is yours. I know what I could do to you. And he started thinking all this stupid stuff. And I remember in the middle of it, this guy's just red in the face, veins popping out. Rah, rah, rah. You know, it's like I thought he was going to take a swing at me. And I was ready if he did. I was kind of hoping he would. You know, I was like, no, God, I don't want to be thinking that. And yet in the middle of this, I can remember him just rah, 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 words going off. But in my head, I'm yelling out to God, God, help me. I'm freaking out. I'm about to do something I don't want to do. Just calm me down. Provide a way out. Call me. Call me. I need your peace. And in the middle of it, I can remember just shutting that anger down. Well, not me, but the Holy Spirit. The, the levels of boiling point just start. And I could just listen. And I could let him just do his deal. And I just sat there and let him just go off until he was done. And then I just started to explain myself. Like, you know what? Here's the thing. You're totally wrong in this. Let's talk about it. And I was able to, to humbly logically just explain the problem to him. And it took like half an hour and he would yell back more and I just kept on talking and trying to keep my temper. And eventually we were able to sort it all out. We parted praying for each other, giving each other a hug and we went on and lived our life and we became good friends after that. But that's like the one time that I thought I was real good. You know, all the other times I blew it in all those other ways. But that's the time that I can just remember going, God, I don't want to sin in this anger. I don't want to bottle this up and keep it in, but I don't want to lash out either. And remember that God always gives you a way out when you're tempted. He always provides the way out. You just got to look for it and you got to seek him. So he's saying, don't sin in your anger. And you know what? Don't even let a day go by. Don't let the sun go down on that anger. Deal with it immediately. When that anger comes up, don't put it off. You know, sometimes we just think, I'm mad, but I'm just going to walk away and I'll calm down. Well, that's the bottling it up theory, you know? Don't even let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you do... The anger of seed is planted in your heart. You wake up the next day, you kind of forgot about it, but it's still in there. It's still in your heart, and you just gave the devil a foothold in your life through your anger. And what it means to give the devil a foothold is, I looked up the word for foothold, and it means that you give the devil a place in your life. You give him room to operate. You give him license to do whatever he wants in your life because of your anger. You try to close the door to him in all the other areas. No, devil, I don't want to live for you at all, da 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 but you just got this anger problem. And that's like just going, you know, I don't want you in my life, but oh, here's a back door that's open, the anger door. You let the devil right in there. How many of you guys have ever had an unwanted house guest? Someone that overstayed their welcome in your house, you know? You know what I'm talking about. How many of you guys have been the bad house guest? Yeah, come on, be honest. You know, some of us go there. But I remember in, in California, as I was a youth pastor, and, and our apartment was real close to the beach, real close to the church, real close to the high school, close to Main Street. So it was the natural stopping point for the kids that would come going to any of those places. There are always kids in our house all the time. And we'd always be feeding them or just hanging out, talking to them. Or we'd let them stay over. Because sometimes you get those calls in the middle of the night. The kid calls you. Oh, my dad came home drunk. I'm kind of scared. Can I come over? 
let the kid come stay at the house. Or parents trust the youth pastors while they go on vacation, leave the kids with us, you know, and it's like, thanks a lot. No, we, we loved it. We, my wife and I have the gift of hospitality, and our house is always open. But there were, I can remember a couple of times when the, the kids were borderline pushing the unwanted guest, you know, description, and you're kind of just about to throttle them, and, you know, like, God takes care of it, and it all works out. But, you know, some of those kids are just ultra smelly, you know, for one reason or another. You know, it's the, the food they eat or the, you know, the, the, the socks that they wear five days straight or, you know, whatever it is. Like, oh, man. But see, when we give the devil a foothold in our life, it's like saying, oh, he's the uninvited guest and he's here. I don't want him here, but there he is. And it's like, well, devil, I don't want you in my life, but because of this anger problem, well, I guess I got a room out back. You could kind of come and hang out here. You're just giving him license to say, come on into my life. And if you think your anger problem, oh, it's a minor thing, you know, I trust God in all the other areas. Well, Paul is saying right here, in your anger, you're giving the, the devil free reign of your house. So he comes in, and he doesn't just stick with the anger thing. He starts setting up shop and starts thinking, okay, now I got your anger. Let's see if I can get you over here in the lying thing. Let's see if I can get you over here in this part of it, in this part of it. And it's just giving him room to work in your life. So he goes, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Don't give it a place in your life. Don't, don't give the devil a place. And it goes on, and it says... In uh, verse 28, if you're a thief, then stop stealing. Begin using your hands for honest work, and this is the part to underline, and then give generously to others in need. He's not just saying if you have a problem being a thief, and not just a thief that you would think that robs houses, but some of us, our nature is like a stealing nature. It's like, I want to get as much as I can, and I don't care who I rip off in the process. Whether it's taking stuff from work, or it's just taking up someone's time, or using something that's there, or whatever, that we have a stealing nature that's our old nature. It says, if that's your old nature, then give it up and start working hard and honestly for your, for your own well-being and for your own sake. But then it goes on, the second part of that, and it says, and then give generously to others in need. See, it's not just saying, stop stealing, be honest for yourself. It's saying, be honest and work hard so that you'll be blessed, so that you can bless other people as well. Because see, there's people in our lives that have less than we do. And so when we work hard and we make something, we have something that we can give away, then we're supposed to think of it as not, wow, look at all this stuff I'm hoarding. Because that's kind of the stealing selfishness, old nature. But it's saying, look at all this stuff that I can get, and I can share it with all these other people that need it. And see, I know not all of us have that kind of money to bless, but Paul's saying, you know what? As Christians, all of us are supposed to give. Whether it's time volunteering something, whether it's you just bake someone cookies, whether it's you just give someone a phone call or an email to say, I'm thinking about you, I care about you, what can I give you? There's, there's things at times in my life God's called me to give away. I've given away cars, surfboards, bicycles, clothes, all kind of just stuff to people in need. And you know what? It's a way better feeling giving that kind of stuff than receiving. It's not just a cliche. It feels so good to just hook someone else up with something that they needed, and you're the one that's able to be that, that tool used by God to bless other people. So he's saying be givers instead of being takers. If you used to be a taker, be a giver. Open your house up as hospitality. Um, give time to just volunteer. Cook for people. If you know a skill or a sport, teach it to someone else. What are the things that you could be doing? Um, basically, it's saying that every Christian ought to be a philanthropist. You guys all know what the word philanthropist means? I didn't. I had to look it up, but I'll tell you what it means. The word philanthropist means someone that is, loves mankind and that they, they work at promoting the good of others, that they give charitable donations to increase human well-being. And see, I think, I think of Oprah and I go, oh, philanthropist. She's got all the money. She's donating it. But see, in God's kingdom, it isn't that just the rich ought to be able to give. It's that every single Christian, because to me the definition of a philanthropist is a Christian, one that loves God and is saying, I love God and I love others. So any need, anything that I have that can meet a need, I'm just going to give it. 
That's what it is to be a giver, is that we all should be philanthropists, that we should all be people that are just trying to bless people and to give things. There's one girl in the high school mini church that my wife does this week that said, you know, I want to get a job. And she's, oh, it's good, yeah, to have money. No, I just want to get a job so I can tithe. God has done so much in my life. He's changed me around so much. He's given me gifts. He's, he's done all these miracles and awesome things. That I don't have money right now, but I, I really wish I could tithe because I want to give something back to God. And can I all, so you're seriously saying you just want a job just so you can tithe? Yeah, because God is so good to me. I just want to give back to him. I'll give him the whole paycheck. I don't care. I just want to be able to give to him. I don't need the money. I only want the job so I can give to God. And Kanani's going, are you for real? You know, are you an angel? How can you say that? And it's this girl loves so much God that she's going, I just want to give back to God. That's all I want a job for. I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. That's a giving heart. The next thing it says here to us is it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Watch your language. There's different ways in which we use our words. Swearing, cutting people down, judging people, gossiping, talking behind their backs. Um, or even the lack of words can be an abuse of the language. How many of you guys have ever been guilty of giving the silent treatment to someone? You know, someone makes you mad and you're like, that's it, zip, I'm not talking to you for the rest of the week. Cold shoulder, and it's the lack of words sometimes that hurts worse than the words. It's saying, use your words wisely, whether you use them or you don't, use them wisely. And what are ways of using our words wisely? Well, one, one of my, the uh, 11th graders in my youth mini church told me, I'm not a real outspoken guy, but you know what? That really works, the way you use your words. And I'm like kind of going, yeah, you really aren't that loud of a kid or outspoken. He goes, no, but I just never swear. And I always try to compliment people and just try to like, you know, encourage them and stuff like that. And if they come to me and ask me anything, I just try to give good advice because, you know, I think that's how living a Christian life should be. But I'm not really outspoken. But he goes, you know what's weird? This works because now all these kids in school start coming up to me all the time for all this advice. And they're asking me their, my opinion on things. And they're telling me, you know what? I just want to come to you because you're always encouraging. You always, you always make people feel good. You don't put them down and laugh at them and stuff. And he goes, that works because now all of these kids start coming to me in high school, in my school and saying this stuff. And see, that's the way to use your words wisely without the swearing, the putting down, the sarcasm and stuff. And you know what another way is? Just praying for people, using your words to pray, to bless people. And I don't just mean praying in church or mini church, the places where you're supposed to. But I mean that the, the old nature is gone and the new nature says it affects every part of my life. So that means when you're in the mall and someone tells you, yeah, my life's going rough, right there in the mall, you pray for them. Lay hands on them and you pray for them. You encourage them. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I hurt my back really bad surfing. And um, I, I put through it out. And I guess it was because I, I got this new massage back thing that goes on your chair, you know. And I didn't read the instructions that says you're only supposed to use it like 15 minutes at a time to get yourself started. And I was like on it for four hours, like typing, like, Woo! Yeah, you know, just shiatsuing myself up and down like crazy. Like, yeah, this is good, you know. And I'm on my computer typing four hours straight of this thing. And then I go surfing the next day and like throw my back out. And I'm treading water there. I couldn't even get back on my board. As soon as it happened, I, I was like, uh-oh, something's wrong. What's going on? You know, I was just kind of treading water. And I was out there surfing with Tom Tom, our junior high pastor, my good friend. And he immediately looks at me and he's like, what's going on? Why are you just, you know, sitting there? Waves are good. Catch a wave. And I'm like, oh, something's wrong. My back hurts real bad. I, I don't know if I can even get on my board and paddle in. Without even asking any questions, paddles straight over to me, lays hands on me in the water, and just begins to pray for me. And all of these other guys are paddling around going, whoa, what's going on over there? What's this guy doing, you know? And I don't even care. I don't even know what kind of impression it made on them or not. Hopefully a good one because some of them heard what Tom was saying. But do you know how encouraged I felt? when someone used their words wisely 
and use godly words to pray for me in the middle of my pain and my panic thinking, can I walk? What's going on? Am I ever going to surf again? You know, and here's Tom coming over here and just saying, you know what, you're going to be okay. Let me pray for you. And he lifted me up. And how good that, that feels to use your words to pray for people and encourage them and not to tear them down. Um, the next thing is the important verse that we're looking at right now. And it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's the one who has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And in putting this thing together, I'm thinking, you know what? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can bring sorrow to God. How is that possible? And God instantly reminded me of this time in my life when I went through this exact same thing with my dad. In high school sometime, um, you know, typical teenager, you start getting mad at your parents. But the problem is I let myself fall into sin in my anger and that I would bottle it up, that I would take it inside and I would leave it inside. And I had this bitterness raging against my dad. And the kind of things that I would get mad at were things that I was dumb, I broke the rules, I didn't do the chores, or I got bad grades or something, and he disciplined me appropriately, not strictly, severely, overly, but just appropriately saying, hey, I want to raise you to do better than that in life. But because I was where I was at, I said, ooh, I'm mad at you. And you know what? I couldn't talk to him about it. Well, I would try to talk to him, but if any of you guys know my dad, he's a hard person to argue with if you're a teenage kid, and he would just give me all the logical reasons. But you know what? He was right anyway. So I would try to argue, and they go, you know what, I'm not even going to argue. What works best with you is I'm just going to give you the zip lip silent treatment. And so I let the sun go down on my anger for days, for weeks, for months, for literally like three years of my life, three or four years of my life. And it was real bad. My dad would be so exasperated, he'd be in my face saying, what's going on? Just tell me. I love you. I want to help you. I'd just be like, nope. I don't know. You know, the, the typical teenage answers, I don't know, whatever. Walk into my room, shut the door, boom, thinking that I won. Yeah, I showed him. I'm not going to talk to him at all. And day after day, all these times that I would go through this and we'd have these same conversations and I would just look him straight in the eye. He'd be like right in my face and I'd just be like, whatever. Okay, bye. You know, and just walk away. And day after day are all the times that I did that. And on the outside, it looked good. I could put up a good face and be happy with the family and when I needed to. But there was those times that maybe once a month or, you know, I don't know how often, but it would just like get mad and just ice him out. And eventually... Right out of high school, there was a time that I just broke. God said, you know what? Enough is enough. I had just broken up with my girlfriend. And for three days, I thought, no big deal. I'm fine. I'm going to find bigger and better, whatever. And God goes, you know what? It's time for you to be broken, son. And he just broke me. I just had a collapse. And I started realizing what a jerk I was and how hard my heart was and how much angerness I was carrying around inside my heart towards my parents. And God said, it's time to be rid of that. And so he just broke me. And I was crying for like... Three days straight. I mean, and I don't ever cry, you know. But here's this thing. I was crying. I was broken. And I was reading my Bible every day. And I was praying. And I was just hurt and wounded and thinking about everything. And my parents never stopped loving me through that. My mom and dad would come to me every day, put their hand on my shoulder. They'd pray for me. They'd give me scriptures to read, to encourage me. They'd make sure I'm eating. Because, I mean, I was broken. And they would just encourage me and they would love me. And one night my mom came to me during this time and she goes, You know what, Carl? I've been praying for this to happen to you for three or four years. And I'm like, why? That's mean, you know? And I'm all crying and stuff. She goes, I've been praying for this to happen because it's been hurting other people and it's just, it's, it's hurting me and it's hurting you. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm real sorry about that. She goes, you know, all those times, she goes, really the real reason I've been praying for you, the main reason I've been praying is because of the relationship that you're not having now with your dad. I go, yeah, I know, I've been a jerk. She goes, no, you don't even understand. All those times you'd go in your room and you'd just totally ice him out and sit in there in silence thinking you won, I would also watch your dad walk to his room and he would go in his room. But you know what he did in his room? 
He would break down. He would cry every single time you did that to him. Every single time you did that to him, he wept because he loves you and that you're slipping away from him, that you're turning your back on him and you're destroying the relationship that, that he has, that he wants to have with you. I would see him weep over you all of those times. And I just went, like just a ton of bricks just fell on me. My dad would cry. I've never seen my dad cry. He would cry for me. She goes, you don't even know how much your dad loves you, how much he wants you to have a good life, how much he wants to talk to you and have a relationship with you and bless you. And you would bring him to tears every time. So I've been praying for this for four years that you would be broken. And I just went, and I'm like, more broken now, you know? I'm just like, wow. But then as I was studying this scripture and this verse, and I read that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can bring him sorrow, God said, remember what you did to your dad? Think of how your dad must have felt when he was in there crying. And he wouldn't show it, but your mom told you the truth, that he was in there crying for you in the broken relationship. And the fact that you walked away from the way he wants you to live his life, that's how I feel. When you guys live your lives opposite the way I want you to, when you put that old nature back on and continue to do your thing, you think you're just hurting yourself and you can deal with it. You think you might be hurting others, but you can clean that mess up too. What you don't understand is that I'm in the room crying for you because you turned your back on me, because I love you. My Holy Spirit is grieved because my Holy Spirit is my very presence that's inside of you. The fact that you know yourself a, that you know that you yourself are a Christian is the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you see miracles, if you feel joy that you don't understand, peace that you don't understand, your prayers become answered, you feel alive and, and really know that God is really there, that's because that Holy Spirit is in there doing that work in your life. See, we're not just a religion that reads a good word, Bible, and listens to the rules and say, yeah, we'll just follow orders. The reason that we know that we're Christians and that God is real is because His Holy Spirit is in us, doing things in us, giving us spiritual gifts, talking to us, getting us out of all kinds of trouble by speaking peace to us and loving us. See, and when you grieve the Holy Spirit, what you're doing is saying, I don't want any of that. I'm refusing that love. I'm refusing that care. The same way I did that to my dad and would cause him to have tears that would just be, I, I miss you so much. I want to love you. I want to bless you. I want to care for you. I'm not giving up on you, but you turned your back on me and you hurt me. And so when we look at this scripture, this has a whole new meaning to me when I think about what I did to my dad. And maybe some of you guys can relate in your lives as either the parent or as the child in this situation. But this is what God is after. He says, I want to love you. I want to take care of you. I've given you my Holy Spirit as a gift. It's my very presence in you. But when you live your life in any way that we've been talking about, lying, stealing, hurting others with your tongue, abusing people, then you're turning your back on me and you're putting that old nature on and you grieve my heart so much. I just want to care for you. I just want to love you. And so we don't want to do that. In verse 31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. And when he says get rid of there, he's literally saying, like a, a weed growing up in a beautiful garden. You don't want to just let, oh, the garden looks good enough. A couple weeds aren't that big of a deal. God's saying, no, get rid of it. Uproot that thing. Pull it and throw it away. Get it completely out of your life. He's saying, get rid of all of those actions, the old nature. And he's saying, instead... Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. See, the word forgive means to graciously restore someone. See, you fell out of a relationship with someone, you hurt someone, but when they forgive you, they're saying, you know what, I'm going to graciously, caringly, lovingly restore you back to the relationship, and I'm going to overlook the fact that you did that wrong to me. See, God did that through Christ on the cross for us, is that we turned our backs on Him, and it hurt Him. But He goes, you know what, through Jesus Christ, I'm making a way for you to be forgiven and graciously restored. And because I did that for you, because I'm a loving father that goes off into heaven and I cry for you and you turn your back on me, 
I want you to live for me and I want you to be able to graciously forgive and restore other people in your life and build up the rest of the family of God. And see, I made a, I made a promise to myself the day I found that out that I did that about my dad that I never want to go back and do that to him again. And we got to take a cool business trip. He went speaking in Japan. Right after that time, I got to spend three weeks with my dad and it was like a turning point in our relationship for the rest of my life. That was the turning point. That trip, we became so close. And now my dad's like my best friend. It's like I go to him for advice and love. And I'm like saying, I don't want to ever hurt you, turn my back on you anymore. I want all that I can get from you because you're a dad that loves me and raised me right. And you got advice to give me. And I don't want to lose out on that by, by making you grieve, by turning my back on you. But you know what? It's the same way about the Holy Spirit and God. He loves us so much. He wants to bless us. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to do amazing miracles in our lives. And when we choose not to live for him, He's just off over there just feeling so much sadness because he loves us so much. And so we just want to live today saying, you know what, God, we're going to live for you. We're going to put that new nature on. We're going to leave it on. We're going to pull out all the weeds of the old nature and toss them in our life because we don't want to hurt you. 